0: Have you ever been in a situation where you were trying to grasp a really abstract concept? Whether it was, you know, algebra, physics, chemistry, something to do maybe with a new job, or just some philosophical lesson, and you are just not, like, getting it at all. And so while this person's, like, trying to teach you all of this theoretical stuff, they finally give you a a concrete visible example of what they're trying to teach you and then suddenly it all clicks you're like why don't you just give that example to me in the first place i would have got it way quicker and my guess is that has all happened to us on one level or another here and that's because examples are one of the primary ways that we learn we learn through concrete examples they make that which is abstract concrete to us It helps us to internalize the teaching or the truths that the person is trying to communicate to us. And so this is especially true then of our Christian faith. Concrete examples of our faith helps us understand how Christianity is supposed to work itself out in us. How it's meant to be displayed to others around us. And the reality is, Each and every one of us here this morning, in a sense, are walking examples of the Christian faith. You are walking examples of what it means to be a Christian. And so, as we gather together, we are constantly teaching one another what Christianity is about. In the way that we sing, in the way that we interact with one another. Even as we come to hear the word. And as we live out our faith together as examples of Christ to each other, we teach what is theoretical and make it concrete in the way that we live. And so as a result, we can either help one another in the way that we live to understand true Christianity or, by our failed example, lead others to a worse understanding of the Christian faith. As we come back to Philippians 2.19 here this morning, Paul seems to be very aware of this reality. We learn by example. And so it's Paul's desire that the Philippians follow the right examples of the faith and not the wrong ones. He's already warned them indirectly about these Christians who preach Christ out of selfish ambition. They're preaching to the detriment of Paul. He wants them to steer clear of these people. And so it's here in verse 19 that Paul then puts forth two examples of the Christian faith that really they should seek to replicate and honor. These men that he puts forward are Timothy and Epaphroditus. And Paul will go on to describe then how these men are living out the gospel and how they are walking worthy of the gospel. They are living out the Christian faith rightly. And in doing this, he now pulls them up. He puts it before the church and says, these are examples of what I've been trying to teach you. So if you've been with us for any of the previous weeks leading up to here, this is kind of Paul putting forth concrete examples of what he wants them to do now. Live in this way. Look at these men. Follow their example as they follow Christ. So as we come to this text this morning then, Paul intends for us to not only learn from himself, but these gospel models and examples of the faith. He intends for us to learn what it means to continue to live out the gospel by their example. And what we first learn is that living out the gospel here requires humble dependence, requires humble dependence upon the father as paul opens up this section he does so by letting the philippians know of his future plan to send timothy to them this is what he's going to do and if you notice in the text here verse 19 he does this with hope in the lord he hopes in the lord to send timothy to them soon What we notice right away then is that Paul frames all of his future plans in the Lord. He's subjecting his future plans to God's grand plans and purposes, no matter what they might be. He doesn't say, I'm going to do this with absolute certainty. Rather, he says, I hope to do this in the Lord. And that is to say, if the Lord permits and he's blessing this plan of mine. And so in this, we see Paul's dependence and submission to God's workings in his planning. He doesn't act independently from God in his future plans, but he works dependently upon God. Part of what we learned last week was that we work out our salvation from sin as God works in us to save us from sin. And even here again, we we see this tension at play within Paul. Paul. Just because God has a grand purpose and plan for everyone, it doesn't neglect our own responsibility to plan for the future. But instead, because God has a plan, so we plan with dependence upon him. So Paul works out his future planning with dependence upon God, recognizing that anything he does and plans must be brought about by God himself. And so this belief then drives Paul to open-handedly bring his plans before the Lord. He, he has an attitude of submission to God and he's not tightly holding what he will do and what he must do, but open-handedly. He trusts God knowing that he knows better than him. And so even as Paul opens this, this verse here and, and demonstrates this orientation of dependence, it really models for us what we ourselves must do as Christians. We must depend upon God as we plan for our futures. Now, if we're honest with ourselves, we struggle to live this way. Because, really, we are saturated in a Western culture of individuality. And that means we act independently from each other. And most often, we take that to mean with God, too. We act independently of God because that's what we're seeped in within this culture and framework. For instance, how often did you bring your plans before God this past week? How often did you do this as a family? Ask your spouse. Ask your children. Are we bringing what we do before God in dependence upon him? How often do our plans acknowledge our need for his help day to day? Or do we instead go about our life independently of God as if he really doesn't have any place in our life? except on Sunday mornings, right here together. We may not say it, but I think more often than not, we all act as practical atheists when it comes to God being involved in our life. And rather than depend upon him, we act independently in pride. But as Paul demonstrates here, just in this very, very short line, by his example, we depend on him. For we are not the God of our own life, but serve the one who redeemed us so in moments where we fail, which I think I myself have been convicted this past week, we must turn humbly to our God again and depend upon his mercy, his grace, and his forgiveness. For he is the one who empowers us and helps us. As Paul then submits his future plans to the Lord, he then lets the Philippians know of his plan to send Timothy to them. Now the purpose of sending Timothy here is twofold. First, he wants Timothy to bring back encouraging news to him. He's hoping to hear that they are doing everything that Paul has instructed in this letter. As Paul already has mentioned, he hopes to hear that they are standing firm in the faith in the midst of adversity. And in humility, they're walking in unity. He hopes Timothy, when he sends him, brings back this news to Paul. But then second, he sends Timothy To be an encouragement to the believers there in the faith he wants the work to continue that he himself started in that city he wants to see them conform to the likeness of christ so paul plans to send timothy on this mission and then he tells him specifically why this man and not someone else for paul has no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests That's why he's sending Timothy. And this is high praise from Paul. And what is important here is that Timothy truly gets Christianity. Everything that Paul has been talking about, from having the mind of Christ who gave himself up for the good of others, to considering the needs of others as more significant than your own, this is Timothy. This is the one who is modeling everything that I've been trying to get through your minds. So this is why I'm sending him. He embodies what Paul has been teaching, and so models what they themselves should strive for. And so from Timothy, we continue to learn from his example of the selfless concern in living out the gospel. In writing these things, Paul prepares the Philippians to receive Timothy well. Because of this letter, when he comes, they will know to treat him as a brother, They will know to look up to him as an example, as one who is faithfully ministering the gospel. And as a result, he hopes that they will learn from his selfless concern for them. Now, in contrast to Timothy's selfless concern, Paul then interjects a comment about some others. It's kind of abrupt if you look in your text. So he says, look at Timothy. There's no one like him. He's incredibly selfless. And then he says, All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Here again, we find that Paul is most likely alluding to those who preach Christ out of selfish ambitions that he talked about in the previous chapter, chapter 1. But in contrast to these other believers, he lets them know that this isn't Timothy at all. He stands in complete contrast to them. For just as Paul called the believers to look not only to their own interests, But to the interest of others, so Timothy will genuinely look out for their interests and not be selfish. And just as Jesus, the son of the father, emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, so Timothy, as a son, takes the form of a servant and serves alongside Paul to these people. We are reminded then that to live out the gospel requires selfless concern for others so do we serve others genuinely with selfless concern do we serve not looking to get something in return you know i scratch your back you scratch mine but do we serve because our desire is to please god and often our true motives are revealed when after we do serve and we don't get what we want we experience anger frustration bitter disappointment Because in our service, we selfishly wanted something else. We might say in exasperation, I can't believe I didn't get thanked for doing such and such. Whether that's taking care of the kids, washing the dishes, making dinner, serving in some sort of church way, whether that's at home or even at work. I can't believe they didn't recognize me for my great act of service here. In these moments, we we are often confronted that our, our service was not for Christ, but it was truly for our selfish ambitions. And so while we all like to be appreciated for our service to others, and we should recognize one another thankfully for their service, if the primary reason we're serving is for the recognition and approval of man, then we need to once more look to Christ. We need to look to Christ who did not serve to gain anything selfishly from us, but served to please the Father. We must look to Christ and remember whom we are serving above all. And in so doing, reorient our motives in these moments to why we are serving in the first place. So as we look at the example of Timothy set before us, we learn then of the selfless Concern involved in living out the gospel. But then we also learn through his example the importance of proven character. Paul continues in his commendation of Timothy. Unlike these others who are selfish, you know of Timothy's proven character because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. So, in contrast to those who serve selfishly, and have ambivalent motives, know that this isn't Timothy. He has proven character. What we learn is that character matters. Character matters for each and every one of us here this morning. Character pertains to the qualities a person actually has. And it's often revealed under pressure. Unlike the facade and selfish motives that these Other believers had. Timothy, when he was put under the pressures of life, is revealed to have character that is tried, true, and proven. It's been developed and proved over time, even to the point of where Paul can call him his own son. We find that much of the testing and proving of character came when Timothy served with Paul in gospel ministry. Timothy, by going through the fires of ministry, has proved himself trustworthy and dependable. And so character, in the words of one, is developed when a person experiences pressure plus time and then endures it as a Christian. Character is developed when a person experiences pressure plus time and then endures it as a Christian. And when character is proved as a believer, it showcases the power of the gospel at work in us it shines the light of the gospel and it authenticates the genuineness of our faith and if on the other hand our character is greatly flawed then the opposite is true as well and we hide the light of the gospel rather than showcase its power so timothy here stands as a model of the gospel in this way when he's put through the fire And his character is proved. In learning about the noble qualities of Timothy, I think we could say safely that as Paul is planning to send him to the Philippians, Paul is planning to send his best. He's not sending some lowly servant on the low end of the totem pole. He's sending his best to the Philippians. He's sending the one whom he's invested in deeply for the sake of the gospel. So that they themselves might be built up in the faith. Of course, he's going to do this as soon as he figures out what's going to happen. And he even hopes that he himself can continue to give to them. And so, in this, as Paul strives to give more and more, we learn here that he is intending to give sacrificial service for the good of others. As we read this section and as we've been reading the entirety of this letter, Paul is just a giver. He just continues to give. He never complains. And he's always looking just in some way to build up these believers. And in this, we really see Paul shining the light of the gospel as he follows in the footsteps of Christ who did not withhold anything from us but willingly gave up his life on the cross so that we might be redeemed and forgiven. And as we see Paul's example, so we ourselves should strive to shine the light of the gospel in the same way. We must root our sacrifices for one another, really, in the sacrifice of Christ for us. For this is the engine that will drive us to give to others selflessly, even as it did for Paul. So it is my hope that this church All of us collectively and individually will display the same sacrificial service to others for the sake of the gospel and of Christ all around us. And I can say joyfully here this morning, genuinely, that I am so happy to see people, people in this congregation doing that already. And I only hope that we continue to grow more and more and more in giving for the sake of Christ and others when it is within our power, may we not begrudgingly withhold that which is useful for kingdom building, but let us, like Paul, send out that which is useful for the sake of Christ's kingdom here on earth. And when we struggle to give sacrificially for others, which, let's admit, that's all of us from time to time, let us refresh our minds in the immense sacrifice of Christ for us. So it's your pastor's hope here collectively, that we will grow in the same mindset of Paul here, and that we have the same orientation towards sacrificing for the good of others. For our goal is not to build up our little kingdom here in the city of Burnsville, but to see the spread of the gospel across the globe. So let's continue to sacrifice, to see missionaries trained up and sent out, missionaries like the Hennigans and the Thomas family, and when future elders, pastors, and missionaries are trained up within this assembly, let us send them out, sacrifice them for the good of the nations around us. May we not invest in Christ's kingdom by hoarding to ourselves, but by sending out to the world. And so give up the temporary for the eternal. After Paul speaks highly of Timothy here then, and his future plans to send him, He finally then moves on to the person who actually carried this message to the Philippians, and that is Epaphroditus. Now, it's important for us to know that Epaphroditus is one of the Philippians. He's one of the people in the church that was sent out to bring their monetary gift and support to Paul. Unlike today, where I think we have, what, PayPal, Venmo, you can send checks by mail, They didn't have that. I think that's clear. They did not have that back in the day. And so it had to be brought in person to Paul. And Epaphroditus was the man designated by the church in Philippi to fulfill this mission. More than this, he himself was to aid Paul in the ministry and to be by his side after delivering the gift. And so just as Paul described Timothy in familial language, so he now describes Epaphroditus in like manner. He is Paul's brother, co-worker, fellow soldier, messenger, and minister to Paul's need, just as Timothy is. And in the multiple titles that Paul uses to describe Timothy, we find that he is dearly loved. He is cherished by Paul. He is united in mission and purpose on the deepest level with Paul himself. And yet, despite this deep connection, here Epaphroditus is, again, at the church in Philippi. He's in Philippi with a message from Paul to them, even though he was supposed to stay with Paul by his side. And so we're wondering, like, did he abandon Paul in his need? Like, why isn't he with Paul still? We sent you to be with him. Why are you back? Well, thankfully, Paul explains here in the letter. He says, I felt it was necessary to send him back immediately. Because he has been longing for all of you and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. And indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. So from Paul's own words here, he gives us at least two reasons why he sent him back. First, because he was homesick and he missed his brothers and sisters dearly. But second, he was incredibly distressed for his brothers and sisters in Philippi because they had heard that he was near death now some of you may be able to relate but it's like when you're traveling somewhere without your spouse or your significant other and then they tell you to you know call when you arrive there so that they know that you're safe and they don't have to worry about you and then you know things come up and you forget to call them or your phone dies or something to that effect and then when you finally check your phone you got like 10 messages from your wife You know, wondering, like, are you still alive? Did you get eaten by a bear? Um, Like, did you get kidnapped? What happened to you? And so when you see that, you're like, oh, no. This isn't, you got anxiety going at that point. You know your spouse is distressed about you greatly. This may or may not have happened to me, you know, several times in my marriage to my wife. Um, But in those moments, what do you do? You you know that they are stressing because they're worried about you. And so what do you, you call them? You call him back, you say, I'm okay, I'm alive, I'm not dead, sorry about that, please forgive me for my, uh, my forgetfulness there. And, and, and in a similar way here, this is what is taking place in our text. Except Epaphroditus couldn't merely just call them, right? He, he can't call them on his cell phone because they didn't have that. And so he goes to them instead. Paul sends Epaphroditus back in order to relieve the church of their anxiety. And he cured them of their anxiety for Epaphroditus as they saw him in person. And they saw that he was okay, that he was alive and well. And so in this, we see again the deep affection and care for other believers that the gospel brings. There's great concern for each other's well-being. And this isn't only shared among the believers in Philippi, but also Paul himself. As we know here, at some point, Epaphroditus nearly died. He contracted some sort of illness that nearly killed him. And as a result, Paul describes the great sorrow he would have had had he died. He would have been devastated. He would have had sorrow upon sorrow. Now in this, I think it's, it's important for us to see that Paul isn't a stoic in the face of suffering, death, or pain. He would have felt terrible sorrow if Epaphroditus would have died. So know that this isn't a mere platitude, but this is genuinely how Paul felt about his brother if he had passed away. So it's good for us to remember that sometimes the natural and right response to the death of a loved one is sorrow. We don't have to man up or women up and pretend the pain doesn't exist. It does. For while we know that in the end Christ will make all things new, and while we know he will resurrect those who are in him, it doesn't solve the immediate sorrow of loss that we still experience today. It's real. And so we don't pretend it doesn't exist. For even as Jesus wept, so Paul here would have had great sorrow upon sorrow. So Paul lets the Philippians know how deeply he cares for him and for them. And so he eagerly sends Epaphroditus back so that he himself might be freed of anxiety as they are freed from anxiety. And again, we see how the gospel brings about this great affection between believers. There is deep care for one another. And so there should be in this church as well. As Paul draws to the close of the section here then, he calls the Philippians to welcome Epaphroditus back in the Lord with great joy and to hold people like him in honor continually. And in this call from Paul, we find that gospel living is quick to celebrate honorable courage for Jesus. Why do we celebrate this honorable type of courage? Because it's people like Epaphroditus that risk their lives for what matters most. They risk their lives for the sake of Christ and to make up to Paul what was lacking in your ministry to me. Now let's focus on this last sentence here in our text. When Paul says that he's making up what is lacking in their ministry to him, please know that this isn't meant to be a slam on the church there. It's not as if they should have done something that they weren't already doing. That's not what he's saying. What he's simply doing here is pointing out the fact that while the church in its entirety supported Paul in ministry, Epaphroditus was the one who stepped up to the plate, so to speak, and actually took the love offering to him. And he did this at great risk to himself. So while all risked some, in the church for paul there were some who risked all for the sake of paul and the gospel and this is all paul is trying to say he's pointing out that epaphroditus and and the immense risk he took for the sake of the gospel so those who take these kinds of calculated risks for christ even at risk of harm to themselves and even death paul says Hold them in honor. Celebrate them. Look up to them as courageous examples to be followed. By God's grace, may we truly do that together as a church. May we look up to those who hold up the light of the gospel, who go to foreign missions, who do this even in our backyard, at great cost to themselves. For while all of us risk some, we realize it is necessary that some of us risk everything if the gospel is going to be spread across the globe for the glory of God. So in this, let Christian biographies captivate your imagination as God uses ordinary people to accomplish extraordinary things for his glory. Let their stories of his grace in their lives inspire not only you to take risks for christ but also your children let those who promote the gospel be the ones who are the most celebrated in our households may they be the ones that our children aspire to be like it may be said of us that those who we look up to most are not athletes not musicians or singers not actors not the wealthy or the powerful like the rest of the world, but may it be said of us as a church collectively that those whom we celebrate, those whom we honor most, are those who have given the most for the sake of the gospel. So may our church celebrate and honor the gospel in this way as we follow their examples to the glory of God the Father. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we come before you and we thank you for those whom have lived lives for the sake of the gospel and as they follow Christ, have set forth examples of what it means to follow Christ. So even as we strive together as a community to to this end, may we rightly live out the gospel and so concretely give example after example of what it means to follow Christ by the way that we live. Would you help us to this end so that the name of Christ would be glorified and that he would truly be seen in us as we live out our faith and make a reality what you have done for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.